Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that now as we look at your word that you'll take away the things that might be um, distracting us. Um, there been some big things spoken about already and we just ask that we'll uh, spend this next little while hearing from you, uh, listening to you, learning from you and especially we ask that you'll strengthen our faith that we might persevere. Amen. Um, you, you've heard the saying, haven't you? Some people have to learn the hard way. Well, you're looking at one. Uh, my mother, if she was still alive, would say that that's the case. Uh, she could point to various examples, but I want to give you some truly shocking examples of me learning the hard way. The first time was when I was about six, and I had one of those bed lamps, and I worked out that if you twisted it, you could take the globe out. And so I took the globe out, and I stuck my fingers into it. Uh, now, my arm went black and blue. Uh, in fact, I think more of my body than my, just my arm. But I, it wasn't very comfortable, but I learned not to put uh, my fingers into that kind of uh, situation. There was another time, I was a little bit older, I think I was around about 10, and my father always used to mow the lawn, and um, I wanted to. You know, you want to mow the lawn when you're 10, you don't when you're 16. But uh, when I was 10, I wanted to mow the lawn, and uh, I worked out how you got it started. You just kind of um, held it and you went, vroom, vroom, vroom. And um, I thought I knew how you turned it off, too, because he always put his hand down underneath. And he, he did something, right? Um, I, I thought it was a button down there, and I had a look at the side of the thing, and I had no idea what a spark plug was, but it was sticking out. So I thought that must be the button that he grabs. And I don't know if you've ever tried to grab uh, the spark plug of an engine when it's actually running, but it's very hard to let go of it. Um, and again, a great big shock. And there was a metal fence just beside it, and I remember grabbing spark plug with one and the metal fence with the other. Uh, now you'd think, okay, 10 years of age, you can forgive that. Uh, fast forward to university, right? Um, there am I sitting in the common room of the residential college, uh, and the lights won't work. In fact, the, uh, the whole light switch... Uh, the cover had come off it, somebody was playing around with it, I don't know who. It wasn't me, but I did call the maintenance man and he came into the common room just outside of where our particular dorm rooms were and he said, so which is the problem? Where's the problem? And I went up to the PowerPoint and I put my finger in it. <laughs> yes, true story. And uh, I said, it's just here, it sparked and I flew through the air. I've never flown through the air before. Uh, but it literally picked me up and it threw me back against the wall. Now, I've now learned, right? I've now learned never to mow the lawn, never to turn the lights out, and never to play with PowerPoints, right? Ah, not a good plan, not a good plan. Now, I think when it comes to Christian things, some of us can also learn the hard way. And uh, the church in Corinth were no different. And the Apostle Paul has some things to tell them. Um, and what he has uh, and what he does here is to actually teach them some lessons from history. And uh, you might have noticed as, uh, as it was read for us before uh, that it keeps talking about things that happened to Israel. Now, Paul is reminding them of events of the past so that they might learn the lesson and not have to repeat it for themselves. So I'll just quickly recap some of the things here. We won't uh, take too long on this. Uh, But you notice in verses 1 to 5, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, 
that our ancestors were all under a cloud, they all passed through the sea, they were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with them, with most of them, that is, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, I'm not going to unpack too much of that, but I think the lesson that he wants them to know is this. God had saved people from slavery in Egypt, and they came out of their slavery. They wandered through the desert for 40 years, but God wasn't happy with them. And most of them never made it into the promised land. Most of them perished. Now, here's the lesson, right? He wants Christians who have been saved by Jesus to make it into the promised land. He's not talking about the nation of Israel. He's not talking about a particular geographical spot in the Middle East. He's talking about eternity in heaven. So it's an important thing for us, right? We need to learn the lessons of the past. What was it that stopped Israel from entering into the promised land? Therefore, what is it that might stop us from entering into the promised land? That is eternity with Jesus. And he makes some connections here. So as we read on, um, it's an object lesson. Look at verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Or down in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now let me just step back for a minute and ask... Um, how many of you have actually read the book of Numbers or Leviticus? Right? Now, did you just go to that book going, yeah, I really want to read Numbers? Um, or did you have to read it because you were trying to read through the Bible? Yes. Right? So Numbers is kind of like broccoli. Or, or maybe it's more like Brussels sprouts, right? You, you, don't, you don't read Numbers because you want to. You read it because... Unless you first read that, then you can't keep going and get to your dessert. Is that it? Right? Um, But notice here, and you'll notice on your outline, this handout, I've put the cross-references that um, are being picked up with each of the illustrations that he gives. One of them's from Exodus, and three of them are from the book of Numbers. Now, I'm like you, right? I, I keep getting bogged down as I try to read through the Bible in books like Numbers and Chronicles. Because there's so many lists. And I think, well, what do you expect? If you call a book Numbers, right, um, it's going to be full of numbers. If you call it Chronicles, it's going to chronologically talk about all of these people and their ancestors and so forth. But there are lessons to be learned, powerful lessons to be learned in Exodus and in Numbers. And I just want to pick up on them quite quickly. And I'm going to do that by going to the spot where they came from. So first of all, in verse 7... Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, and then he quotes from Exodus, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the incident that took place where Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and by the time he got back, his brother Aaron, who gathered all the jewellery, from the people of Israel, and he melted it down and he made it a golden calf. Now, that's extraordinary. We're talking about the people of God being saved out of Egypt, 
God destroying the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, and they've already forgotten, they're grumbling, they're complaining, and Moses takes too long to come back down. And so they look for a new way to worship. Let me, let me read what is being quoted here. I'll pick up on a, on a little bit from uh, Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Um, he's up a mountain, by the way, talking to God. Um, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your, the wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they'd handed him and he made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool, and they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Garbage. Absolute nonsense. They've been rescued by the one true God and now they're taking their jewellery, melting it down and proclaiming, Here is our Saviour. Why would they do that? Because they've grown impatient with God, because they have short memories, because they have sinful hearts, because they have a whole bunch of things that we also are in danger of having. And so there's a warning, right? Don't do what they did. And then he goes on. I think this is particularly relevant to Corinth. So in verse 6 he says, The next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. It's interesting. What they're doing is not just that they've forgotten God and moved to something else, they're actually syncretising. Fellowship offerings, burnt offerings, they're kind of to God, but, but they're also making a God of this, this calf, golden calf. And then it says, afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So here are the people, God's chosen people, God's treasured possession, God's saved people from Egypt, who are now worshipping other things and indulging in feasting and orgies. And that kind of sounds a little bit like Corinth. There are dangers for these early Christians. Come with me to the next verse in 1 Corinthians. He goes on, verse 8, We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23 Thousand of them died. Now he's picking up here an incident that takes place in Numbers uh, chapter 20, uh, what have I got there? Chapter 25. Let me read this to you. So Numbers 25. While Israel was staying in Shittim, got to be careful how you say that one, the, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. See, God is angry with these people. Why? Because they are worshipping other gods and that's leading them to, to adopting their immoral, immoral practices. And, and that sort of thing is a danger in Corinth. So the temples were the places where people gathered. It was a, a community event. 
But it was a community event where there were some evil things happening. There were sacrifices of animals to other gods. There was temple prostitution taking place. And these Christians had come from that way of life. They needed to separate. Because if they didn't separate, you see, if they didn't change the way that they were living, then they were in danger of going back to what they were saved from and not making it to the promised land. Or we see in verse 9, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. For the sake of brevity, I'll skip through this one. But uh, there's, there's God sending all of these snakes into the camp after the people's immorality and, uh, and many of them are killed. And then you might know the story of, of Moses uh, um, taking a, a, a snake on a pole that the people look to so they're saved. It's where we get the, um, the medical symbol these days uh, from. It's actually fulfilled in John chapter 3 where it talks about Jesus on the cross. But the point is, again and again and again, the Israelites complained and grumbled and turned aside and tried to marry their kind of religion to other religions. They engaged in immoral practices. They, they ate of food that had been offered to idols and to demons. And because of this, God brings his judgment upon them. And so in verse 10, And do not grumble as some of them did. And were killed by the destroying angel. See, if I was to ask you this, right? What's the most dangerous thing to get involved in? The occult? Um, Going to brothels? Or grumbling against God? I wonder how you'd rank them. I don't know how to rank them, by the way. Because it was for all three reasons that the people of God in the Old Testament missed out on the promised land. Yeah, maybe we've not been to a brothel lately, maybe we've not been involved with the occult lately, but boy, grumbling. Seen a bit of that. But grumbling against God? God, why did you take us out of Egypt only to have to put up with manna. You know, manna was this kind of bread flakes. And, and, and why do we have to have manna waffles and manna burgers and manna loaves and manna rolls and manna sandwiches? And it's always manna, 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 manna. Why? Well, you don't have to. You can starve if you want. But don't miss out on the fact that God says, I've given you bread every single day. And for water... Nobody could find water out there, but I provided you with water every single day. See, God looks after his people, but, but, but they just grumble against him. And there's a great danger for us. And there's a danger for us when, when, when life doesn't go the way that we want it to go, that then we turn against God and we grumble against him. Sadly, I've heard this again and again and again. I used to believe in God. But something bad happened in my life and I no longer believe in him. No, this happened to my daughter. This happened to my, my, my niece. This happened to my auntie. This happened to my best friend. And I won't believe and I can't believe in a God who would allow this to happen. And, and what we do is we take our eyes off the one true evidence that God is 100% committed to us. 
And that is the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if we play the this is what's going on in my life game, then we'll wander through the desert, we'll not see any food and we'll not see any water and we'll grumble against God. But God knows our needs and he will provide them. 2011, we're planning to go to Darwin to plant a church. It's coming together. We've raised all the money. We're, we're, We're poised to get in the car. God loves me. The next day I'm admitted to the hospital. Discover that I've got cancer. God loves me not. And then 18 months into that, the cancer shows serious regression to the point where we can't see any evidence of it existing. God loves me again. On the 3rd of July this year, the oncologist from Port Macquarie rings me. He says, the cancer's come back. He loves me not. See, that's a nonsense. It's a lie. God loves me. God loves you. And it's not whether you are well or sick. It's not whether you are rich or poor. It's not whether you are having happy times or bad times. It's not whether your job is fulfilling or your job is boring. It's not whether you're unemployed or whether you've got so much you don't know what to do. It's not whether you're getting on with your friends or your family. It's not whether they're picking on you or they're not. It's not whether you've... uh, See, the evidence that God loves you, it's, it's not found in our circumstances. It's found in the history that, that event that took place where Jesus died on, on the cross and that event where God raised him from the dead and raised him to himself to give him authority over everything. And that stands true, friends. I had to go back and I had to look at evidence again when I was diagnosed back in 2011. And I remember in the early weeks of 2012 just reading basic Christian things again. Go, yes, what God said happened. He promised Jesus, Jesus came. Jesus promised that he'd die and that he'd die for you and for me, and he did. And God promised that he would raise him from the dead, that he would not let his Holy One see decay, and on the third day there he was, alive. There's the evidence, friends, of the love of God. I was talking to somebody just this afternoon, somebody... Who, uh, who lives nearby us, whose wife is very, very sick with cancer. And uh, spent a bit of time chatting with him. And he's been looking at the Bible and he's been discovering things that he'd never seen there before. And he's starting to come to grips with the fact that there is a God who loves him despite the circumstances. His wife can't even communicate with him properly anymore. She can't feed herself. He goes... To where she's living and he feeds her each evening. But he's looking at the Bible now. I asked if he'd like to come along to church and, and maybe come to our blokes night. He's not quite ready to do that yet. But he's inquiring into these things. And, and someone at his work told him he should read this book, um, Pilgrim something, he said. I um, should read this Pilgrim book. And, and I said, I'm not sure I know about it. He said, I'll look it up. And Pilgrim's Progress. Ah, yes, I know what you're talking about. John Bunyan, written 500 years ago. Um, yeah, read that book. Because that's what we're talking about, friends. The Christian life is a marathon and it's also a full contact sport. So here's an image for you, right? The Iron Man, 
Port Macquarie, Australian Ironman, and UFC together. That's what it's like being a Christian. It's long and it hurts. It's hard. But God's taking us to the promised land. And, and we want to be a part of that. And I want to urge you to be a part of that. If, if you've not come to the point where you've put your trust in Jesus, tonight would be a great night to do that. If you don't know what that's all about and you want to meet up and talk about it and look at the Bible and, and explore what that's all about, then let me encourage you to do that. And I'll help you do that. Love to do that. If you're struggling in, in, in terms of your beliefs and, and, and where you're at and I was talking with Brigitte just before and she was saying to me that she's actually struggling to believe at the moment. And she gave me permission to say this, that we might pray for her. Don't, don't hide it. Don't be ashamed of that. I'll tell you straight up, there have been serious points in my life as a Christian pastor where I've wondered whether it's true. There have been serious points in my life as a Christian pastor when I've known that the tentacles of... Opposition to God have kind of got hold of me and, and I'm tempted to be dishonest or I'm tempted to stretch the truth or I'm, I'm tempted to immorality or I'm tempted to something. And those temptations are common to us all as they were to Jesus. Let me encourage you not to coast and not to think that you can, you can kind of have a buck each way. I was a preacher's kid, right? So I learned... How to be a Christian on weekends and live like I please during the week. And it's a disaster. Completely inauthentic and you just cannot follow it through. If that's where you're at, it's time to take a step. Now you can take one of two steps. You can take a step towards God and put your trust in Jesus. Or you can take a step just to go with the flow. It's easier to go with the flow, guys. It's easier to go with the flow. And it leads to hell. God wants us with him in that promised land. Let's pray.